0: we are continuing our series through the book of Ephesians. Uh, sometimes, if you haven't been to a church where the pastor sits down, um, sometimes I do that around here. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm too tired to preach. Uh, it just means that I feel like maybe this is going to be a little bit of a, of a teaching, and I, I, just wanna, I don't want to run around and distract you with my presence this morning. I just want you to hear what we're going to go through in the book of Ephesians. We have been walking through chapter one of this book. We intend to get through the next two chapters and then celebrate the holidays together. Then we're going to pick this thing back up in January and we're just going to spend as long as it takes to get through the second half of this book. Has it been good so far? Yeah, you've been enjoying it? Me too. This is one of those series you go through a book and it kind of messes you up and puts you all back together all at the same time. Um, This is one of those books you might remember when Pastor Mark gave us an overview of this series. He said that one of the things that was incredible about this is the number of theologians who said they actually found God while studying this book. So uh, this is our hope for you as well, that there might be something of God that you would find as we study his book. Um, So Paul wrote this book to the Christians in the city of Ephesus. He uh, had done some ministry there. He had planted some churches, and we are walking our way through this thing, and our intention today is to finish chapter one. Uh, If you haven't found the book of Ephesians by now, I've been stalling and trying to get you some time to get there. If you haven't found it by now, just Google Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 15 in just a moment. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say they were praying for you? And then in the back of your mind, you're wondering, I wonder what they mean by that. I wonder what that actually sounds like when they're praying for me. Have you ever said you were going to pray for somebody and then after those words come out of your mouth, you go, oh no, what do I do? <laughs> Does that ever happen? Uh, have, you ever, have you ever said you were going to pray for somebody and then because you didn't know what to say, you see them at church the next Sunday and you panic a little bit, so you go, dear Lord, I just pr- do the thing, whatever it was, amen. <laughs> and, then you, and then they walk up and give you a hug and you go, I've been praying for you! <laughs> right? Well, if you want to invo- avoid that awkward moment, hang out for the next few minutes because Paul's actually going to help us not only give us an indication of what he prays when he tells people that he's going to pray for them, but he, he might actually give us some pro tips on how we can pray when we see our brothers and sisters in the Lord, the people that we go to church with, the people that we love, and that we want to pray a blessing for, whether they're going through a hard time or you just love them and want to pray for them. Uh, this might actually be a little bit of a roadmap for our prayer life. So let's let's dig in here and see what Paul has to say. We'll start with Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 and this is what Paul is saying to his friends in Ephesus. He says, this is why since I heard about your faith in the Lord. By the way, this is why in some translations it says therefore. So in light of everything he said so far about how they're awesome at being Christians and who they are in Christ. He says, because of all of that, when I heard about your faith in the Lord and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. What a gift to have Paul the Apostle pray for you. Right? I mean, think of like the the, the, the most famous preacher you know, and if he send it send it sent you. Uh, it wouldn't be me because I can't speak English. but uh, but if that preacher sent you a text message or a DM on your insta and said, "Hey, I'm praying for you. In fact, here's what I've been praying for you. And that would blow you away, right? This is the letter that Paul has sent. Here's what he says in verse seventeen, "I pray that the God of our Father, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him." That's number one that he prays. Number two, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what, the, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. So we'll continue the chapter in just a little bit, but let's pause there. Uh, my hope today as we walk through Paul telling us that he prays, Why he prays and what he prays for his friends might give you some encouragement so you know. Number one, if you're going to pray for some people, here's some tips on what you can pray. But also, I think it would be really good for us to learn what Paul is praying for us because if we are people who are found in faith, it would be good to know what someone like Paul is hoping that we are learning or an area where he's hoping that we would grow. So let's start at the beginning. Paul tells us why he prays. In fact, he gives two reasons. Number one is their faith in the Lord. Remember who he's writing to. These Christians in Ephesus have been what he calls faithful saints. The last time Paul was in Ephesus was five years earlier. He had met with some Ephesian elders about three years ago, but he hasn't been in the city where he planted the church in Ephesus for five years. Half a decade ago. What were you doing Five years ago. That's how long it's been since Paul has hung out with these people, and he has heard that they are faithful. And so he's writing because of their faithfulness to Jesus. That's that's number one reason why he's praying. The second reason he says that, that he's praying for them is because of their love for the saints. Jesus talked about this one time. He said to his disciples, They will know that you are my disciples by the way you love each other. Right? A lot of times, we actually kind of misinterpret Jesus when he said that, and we think what he said was, they'll know you're Christians by the way you love non-Christians. And certainly, that is very, very important. How do we show love to non-Christians? Well, don't be a jerk when you tell them how much Jesus loves them, right? But what Jesus actually taught us was the world will know that your disciples of Jesus or students or followers of the way of Jesus, by the way you love The person sitting next to you right now. The person sitting on the other side of the room from you right now. The person sitting in another church right now. Where they're also talking about Jesus. Right now, who's in a different denomination. Did you know you can love people who are a part of a different denomination? Did you know that? Did you know us foursquare people can love the Baptists? I'm going to blow your mind right now. One of my mentors is a Baptist. I tell him all the time he's a secret Pentecostal. <laughs> he, he just doesn't want me to say that in public, and I, and I break that rule as often as I can. <laughs> other than that, I, I listen to him. But, but I'm so thankful that we can love each other, even in the middle of our differences. What an incredible lesson that that would be, if we could come around the person of Jesus instead of our fill-in-the-blank you know, politics, worship style, preaching style, the color of our skin, how much money we have, fill in the blank, whatever other reason we like to gather that isn't actually Jesus. He says that I'm thankful for the way you love one another. I feel like I could just let that idea hang in the air over 2021, and we would have to repent and pray a great deal just over the way that we, have not loved each other. In fact, I think this is the first question of us studying this passage of Scripture. As we come to read Paul's introduction to his prayer for us, the question that hangs in the air for us is would Paul pray this for you? After five years, after however many years you've been walking with Jesus, Would he find you to be faithful? Meaning that with all of the other stuff that pulls our attention in the world, all of the social media attention that we give, all of the news outlets that are trying to pull our attention and transport that into rage for their profit and our demise, would Jesus find us faithful to him? Or have we been faithful to something other than the gospel? Got real heavy in here for a second. Would Jesus find us good at loving our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Would Paul be able to pray this about life, church? I'd love to say yes, but I'm just one of us. And some days, if I'm completely honest, I'd probably have to ask Paul, hey, would you pray for this for us anyway? Because I totally messed up at being faithful and loving my neighbor today. But over the long haul, would Paul be able to pray this for us? I think it is absolutely amazing that Paul says, I heard about your faith. Think about this. Remember, he has not been in town for five years. Put that in the historical context. There's no internet. There's, there's no newspaper. They weren't going to write about the faith of the Ephesian Christians on the, on the Ephesus times. That wasn't going to get to Paul while he was in prison when he heard about their faith and, and, and wrote this letter to them. There's no, there's no telephone. No one's calling and, and saying, Paul, you're not going to believe it. These Ephesian Christians are so amazing. He heard about their faith because somebody went way out of their way to deliver a message to him from Ephesus to Rome while he was in prison and said, these people in Ephesus, that you remember that church you planted five years ago? They're still being faithful. And Paul, not only are they faithful, but in the middle of a world that is constantly trying to pull their attention and in the middle of a world that is, that is just crazy with chaos, And really the only thing different about the human condition at that point is that they didn't have the internet. So news just traveled slower. And Paul hears this message, oh my goodness, they love each other? In the name of Jesus? It was so miraculous to Paul that he wrote them a letter to say, I'm so proud of you. Let me encourage that even more. And let me tell you what I pray for you. My heart to pray is because you love God and you love each other which it turns out is exactly what Jesus said. The entire law and the prophets hang on whether or not you love God with all of yourself and you love your neighbor as yourself. I was teaching this uh, this class on Thursday down in San Dimas. I get to teach a class called Spiritual Gifts at Life Pacific University and uh, a student that I had taught about four years ago named Marcus walked down the hall as I was walking in towards my class and Marcus and I made eye contact and he goes, Professor Lee, and I said, I'm not your teacher anymore. You could just call me Tim, and he goes, Professor Lee, and you know, it's, it was nice of him, an awkward moment, uh, and and it was, it, it, was, it was a cool reconnection. I haven't seen this guy in a couple of years, and he was one of my favorite students when he was in my spiritual gifts class, because he always had really good questions, and he was really leaning in to trying to learn this stuff, and so we were catching up a little bit. I was asking Marcus how he was doing. He's still doing youth ministry, and that made me so happy, because he was doing youth ministry four years ago when he was my student and he was just getting started and he was super nervous every single week because he was doing youth ministry and he had no idea what he was doing and now he's super nervous doing youth ministry every single week because he kind of has a little bit of an idea of what he's doing and that has shown him every week that he has no idea what he's doing right four years later but he's still faithfully serving Jesus then we got to kind of chopping it up a little bit and talking about the class and and I got interested because I'm teaching the same thing now and I thought hey, here's a golden opportunity. This kid took my class four years ago. So I said, Marcus, what was your favorite thing about spiritual gifts when I taught that class? Because I want to make sure that I replicate that now because you're some good fruit from that class. So he said, Oh my goodness, the, the way that you did this one particular illustration, and we have to talk about who the Holy Spirit is in the context of the Trinity, and I've done this illustration here at the church where we talk about coffee, and I won't go too into it too much, but you know, the bean represents the Father, and then uh, He's the source of all the power, and then the bean is broken and turned into the ground, the grind that gives us access to the power, and then that's turned into the liquid that we then consume, and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, which actually puts gives us the power of God in and through our lives, which is is what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And I, and I broke that all down. And actually, when I did it in his class, I actually had my French press out, and I actually made myself a cup of coffee uh, in front of him, which is why it's my favorite sermon illustration. Uh, and and he, actually, he actually broke that whole thing down. And he said, you're not going to believe this. Just last week, a kid that I'm discipling right now was asking me questions about the Holy Spirit. And I walked him through that illustration, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. I can't even begin to tell you how much of a gift that was to me to see that some silly illustration that I had said four years ago, not because I'm great, not because I came up with this idea or because anything that I did, I just made space for God to do a thing by using coffee. And four years later, he's faithful and he's loving other people. When Marcus told me that story, I got a little bit of an idea of what Paul must have felt like when he said, I heard about your faithfulness to God, and I heard about the way that you're loving other people. It was such a gift to me When when I heard months and months after the pandemic had forced us to figure out a different way to gather, and so we were gathering predominantly online, and we had encouraged our church during that season to, hey, if you had a life group uh, in the early part of 2020 or in 2019, uh, continue, find a way to continue doing that. And months and months went by, And there was a a couple of people that we just weren't seeing coming back onto campus yet while we were meeting outdoors. And you remember those days when we were just trying to figure it out again and everything was brand new and we were meeting on campus but outside in distance and everyone was kind of nervous about it. But God was being faithful and he was weirdly giving us great weather every single Sunday and then it would get hot as soon as church got out, Right. was wildly miraculous but there were some people that we weren't seeing coming on campus and so we wanted to do some work to check in on them and see hey what does community look like for you and one of the greatest gifts that we got as pastors during that season was when we heard of two particular couples that we know of that we just hadn't seen and they we knew that they were in a long process to feel like they would be ready to come back on campus and did you know that they said that they were meeting on zoom every single week and they never stopped that's incredible. And that, that was actually a lifeline of community for them. That's nothing that we did. But that was a, another opportunity for us to, to feel a little bit of what it feels like. Can you, ever, can you think maybe as a parent, that time that you told your kids something and then a few years have gone by and they're you know, not killing people? That's, that's a little bit of what it feels like that Paul was feeling in, in Ephesus or in Rome when he wrote this letter back to Ephesus. So again, the question is: Would Paul write this letter to Life Church? Lord, I hope so. I hope so, and I, I can be responsible for my family, for my for my life, my personal life, and I can encourage you. Let's build a church that five years from now, Paul would write this letter to us. Amen. Amen. So assuming that we meet the standard of, of Paul writing this prayer or saying this prayer on our, our behalf, uh, Paul then goes on to explain what he actually prays for us. So in verse 17, Paul says that he prays that God would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Not in the knowledge of Paul, by the way, but in the knowledge of Christ Jesus, their, their Lord, the one to whom they have been faithful So I I thought that it was interesting, by the way, that Paul is praying that they would receive the spirit of wisdom. But these are people that earlier Paul had already said in this first chapter of Ephesians, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. So why is he praying that they would receive the spirit that he said that they've already received? If you would indulge me in being a little bit nerdy for a second, I'm going to read you an excerpt from a commentary that I found very helpful answering this question. All right, I'll try to unpack it and put it in modern English, but I thought this was really, really good. Uh, so the Cambridge Bible says it like this. We are not to think of the coming of the Spirit in this context or in this passage as being literal through space to a locality. Have we already lost you with using words like locality? Uh, let's, let's, see if we can, let's see if we can say this again. Uh, so we're not supposed to think of the coming of the Spirit as a literal passage through the space to a locality, but a manifestation of His power in human subjects in a new way. In other words, what they're saying here is Paul's idea isn't that the Holy Spirit was going to do the same old thing he already did again, but he's saying there's something new that I'm praying the Holy Spirit would do in your life. So again, the, the Cambridge Bible goes on and says, similarly, we're not to think of the giving of the Spirit as an isolated deposit, once what, what was once given Is being given again the first gift is as it were the first point in a series of actions of which one may be expressed also as a gift what they're saying here is think of the gifting of the holy spirit as a process as a a maybe not recurring but an ongoing gifting that the holy spirit might gift you different things throughout your life so let's let's again just try to put that in in super normal like normal people's english All right. So receiving the Holy Spirit happens in multiple ways. The Holy Spirit has a strong work in our being saved. We're sealed. Our salvation is sealed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell among us when we are saved. The Holy Spirit does a filling work to give us power, and that's that coming upon you or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which you can read about in the first and second chapter of the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost when the New Testament church was born. They were filled with power, and miracles began to happen, and people were saved. In fact, 3,000 people were saved that day. So we're offered this filling or this baptism. And then the Holy Spirit also is said by Paul, specifically in, in the Corinthian letters, that the Holy Spirit gives us gifts, and He gives to each gift, each person the kinds of gifts that He wants to give. So, uh, to to Teresa, He might give a certain set of gifts, and from His kingdom full of gifts, He might give Elizabeth a different mixture of His same gifts. And it's up to God, the Holy Spirit, specifically how he gifts each person, and your job is not to complain about the gifts you didn't get, but to be thankful for the ones you did and learn to use them for the growth of the kingdom and to the glory of God. So Paul is saying here that he's praying that they would receive the gifting of the Holy Spirit in a specific manifestation or, or in a specific way, in a specific type or form. Uh, rather, rather he, he's not saying, I hope that you finally catch the Holy Spirit. He's saying, from the Holy Spirit, would you intentionally pursue receiving wisdom and revelation? I hope that you get wisdom and revelation from the Holy Spirit. It would be nice if you would pursue that. Why would this be important? Ephesus is a city very much like Lancaster. It's a city surrounded by worldly culture. There are all kinds of gods and false gods in the world that we live in today and in the world that they live in. There was all kinds of philosophy and practical earthly wisdom for the way people should live. All of this stuff was pulling people's attention and hearts away from the one true God and the way to live. This was a city full of witchcraft and sorcery, which sounds maybe like Harry Potter. And maybe while that is true, I think witchcraft and sorcery also looks like the moments where we try to use our words to force God to obey our will. So, And then there's all kinds of other pagan practices and rituals and traditions in the city of Ephesus, just like there are today. We just don't call them pagan practices and rituals because we're afraid that we're going to get canceled. We live in a world that is very much like the city of Ephesus, all kinds of stuff around us, pulling us away, telling us what is true, what is not true. Telling us that if you say the thing that Scripture says is sin, if you call that sin, you're done. You're not allowed to talk like that. You're not allowed to say that those people aren't inside the kingdom of God telling us that we have to be very careful about the way that we think and the way that we speak and what we believe. And if we don't believe what's popular culturally, we're in big trouble. So now, having put put it back into that context, can you understand maybe why Paul would say, I really hope that you receive wisdom and revelation about Jesus Christ in the context where you live? Paul's prayer is, is, is about that is about a cry for them to pursue wisdom from God, not from the world, right? Let me me read it to you in, in the message translation. Eugene Peterson paraphrases it like this. He says, I ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally, the Amplified says, I always pray that the God, the Lord of, our, of the Lord of Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may grant you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation that gives you a deep and personal and intimate insight into the true knowledge of him, for we know the Father through the Son. In other words, what Paul is praying is that we would learn to pursue wisdom from the source of wisdom, the Holy Spirit. The, the one who seals our faith, that we would go to him to have our faith sealed, but also our wisdom supercharged. That we would actually go to him to know what should we do in a situation. I think if Paul were to pray this for us in 2021, he might have written something like this. I pray that you stop looking for answers in the news and on the internet, but receive true wisdom and revelation about God from God himself by the Holy Spirit. So how would we live into this? What what would this practically look like for your life? I think it would probably look like us asking questions like, do I engage God's word more than I engage voices from the world? Do I pray more than I scroll? And by the way, Christians get into this really interesting trap. I, I've noticed that a lot of the people I follow on Instagram are, are Christians, and if you're crazy, I just unfollow you. So I've really like curated my Instagram feed and my Twitter account, so I'm like just strictly in weird Christian Twitter. But I've noticed that it's really easy for me to scroll through other people's ideas about what God is doing and call that prayer or or call that paying attention to what God is doing in the world and not putting my phone down, closing all of the screens and putting off all of the sound and just saying God, I just want to listen to you. You can you can read a million interpretations of a Bible verse on your phone screen and still have never actually spent time with God. Let's be very careful right so the, maybe we also ask ourselves a question like do you allow the holy spirit and scripture to shape your worldview or do you allow the world to shape the way you view scripture the, this is the, the book that jesus says will never change not even the commas get changed in this book which means not even the the the, the phrasing or the the structure of the way god makes his point is is alterable And so is that going to change the way you view the world, especially in a world that calls wisdom everything outside of this book and the way Jesus would shape our lives? So Paul is writing to faithful Christians saying, I'm praying that you get wisdom and revelation about God from God, period, by the Holy Spirit. This is a process. This is a lifestyle continually coming back to god to ask for him to fill us with the spirit of wisdom and revelation it sounds like maybe very practically praying something like god i am facing a situation right now and i need wisdom we call that confession and then the petition would be god would you show me what jesus would do if he were me that sounds like wisdom and revelation about jesus and maybe we would say god would you fill me with wisdom about how to respond and then we say amen means let it be god would you do that in my life i think that god will probably answer that prayer in several ways maybe uh, as you study scripture the holy spirit would highlight or help you to understand a particular scripture so that you know suddenly from the Word some practical wisdom for what you can do. Uh, God might also answer this prayer by sending a person who is suddenly the answer that you're looking for, right? Somebody comes along and says, hey, I was praying for you today and the Lord told me to come and tell you such and such, and that turns out to be exactly what you needed to hear. Sometimes that can be a prophetic word. Sometimes it can be as simple as a smile and a hug. Maybe God would answer this prayer as the Holy Spirit would speak directly to you, because you don't need to be a pastor to hear from God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, right? And then maybe God would give you, as he speaks directly to you, he would give you clarity, or maybe he would give you peace about the decision you've already made, and you just needed to know if you had made God's decision and not your own. So Paul actually, I think, answers the, the question, what would it practically look like? Uh, what, w- what would this answer look like in a specific way in our lives? And so you can see it in verse 18 and 19, specifically how Paul continues this prayer. He says, "I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you may know what the hope uh, th- so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength." Paul is praying that if we receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that there would be one specific result that one specific result would be that the eyes of our understanding or our heart might be enlightened he's not by the way saying some weird thing that your your heart has an eye, and we want that eye to be opened, and you can have that eye opened if you receive. We're, we're not. Let's not get weird about this. What Paul is talking about when he says heart is the seat of your will and emotions and ability to understand things. So he's saying, I, I really would pray that as you receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation from the Holy Spirit, that your understanding would turn on. That what you don't understand now as you receive the wisdom and revelation that the Holy Spirit would want to give to you, that you would now be able to understand the things that you couldn't understand before. This is what the psalmist was asking for in Psalm 119, verse 18, where he writes, Open my eyes so that I may contemplate wondrous things from your instruction." Let me see and and understand the way that you instruct. Paul used the same kind of language in 1 Corinthians 2.14 when he wrote to that church in Corinth. He says, people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds like foolishness to them and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. So Paul is praying here that faithful saints... Those in Ephesus and even us today, faithful saints, would not simply have head knowledge about God, but that we would have deep, heart-level understanding about God and about His ways. What would Jesus do if we could redeem the bracelet phrase? What would Jesus do? And then I and then I think as as we move towards a conclusion in chapter one, I think that Paul actually unpacks for us three specific things. I'll try to move through them quickly, but there are three important things that he says here that would be evidences that this has uh, come to pass, that this prayer has been answered in our lives, that we would understand, number one, the hope of his calling, number two, the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and number three, the immeasurable greatness of God's power. When Paul says the ho- that he, he, he would hope that we understand the hope of his calling, Paul actually uses this phrase several times. You can read it in the Corinthian letters in both of them. You can read it in, in almost all of the epistles. He says something like this. And each time, what he's referring to is salvation by faith in Christ alone. That's the hope of his calling. But that, that salvation by faith in Christ alone It has a hope. It has an ultimate destination. It has a finish line and a prize on the other end of that finish line. And that prize on the other end of the finish line is eternal life in the presence of God. We call that heaven. To live in the presence of God forever. But Paul actually would, would argue, I think, similarly to what the theologian Dallas Willard used to say all the time, that the, the moment you become a follower of Jesus, that's the moment eternal life began for you. So to live in the hope of his calling or to understand the hope of his calling is to be the kind of person who understands that eternal life began already for you if you've placed your faith in the person of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He does not, by the way, when he says hope, he does not mean wish. Hope is a word that means expectation. It's, it's a confident trust that something will happen. My children, when they say, I hope you get home safely today when I drive down to teach in San Diego and come home, they don't say, I wish you would come home. They say, I have confident expectation that my daddy will come home. This is the way we should pray. And the the, the way that we should live and and think about the eternal life that God has offered us. When when Paul talks about understanding the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, I, I actually am reminded of something that Jesus taught his disciples. In Matthew chapter 13, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and then reburied. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells everything that he has and buys that field. Jesus goes on, he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and he bought the one. Paul's prayer is that we would understand that the, that the kingdom of heaven, which we have access to, is our inheritance. And that inheritance is the most valuable treasure you could ever have. The question for us is, will this manifest itself in our lives in answering Paul's prayer for the church? Are we willing to abandon everything for the kingdom Or are we willing to abandon the fullness of the kingdom because sometimes living in the kingdom of heaven on earth is incredibly uncomfortable? While we wait for the earth to be made new, sin to be removed, we have to sit in the waiting, in confident hope of God's calling that one day He will call us home. We do have hope, but we also have treasure. We also have inheritance. We live in a kingdom that is now and also not yet. Will you sell everything even though you're living today in the not yet to get into this kingdom? The truth is that there is no being in both kingdoms. We are either in God's kingdom or we are not. And Paul says, I pray that your life would look like a person who has sold everything for god's kingdom that you would understand how valuable this kingdom is and thirdly when paul says that he prays that we would understand the immeasurable greatness of god's power first of all let's just say the true thing god's so powerful you cannot measure it paul was not exaggerating when he said that god has immeasurable power. But even better than just the fact that God is better than Thanos is that God's immeasurable power is directed toward us in grace and love and mercy and kindness and favor and acceptance and welcome. God's immeasurable greatness in His power for us that Paul would pray that we would understand that. Paul then actually describes immediately after this what that power looks like in the way that he finishes what we call chapter 1. He, he unpacks God's great power by saying he exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. So Jesus being seated at the place of authority it, when he sat down, that was when the work of saving us was actually finished. When he sat down in authority. In verse 21 he goes on, to say Jesus is far above every ruler and authority power and dominion every and every title given not only in this age but also in the one to come and he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church which is his body the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way God's power has some pretty incredible results. Number one, God's power raised Jesus from the dead. Number two, he placed Jesus at the highest position of authority over every other thing. Number three, because Jesus is placed in the highest authority, God placed everything under his feet, which means what Jesus says goes. And the fourth way that we see that Paul says that God has ultimate power is that he made Jesus the ultimate leader of the church. I get to shepherd this church as one of the co-senior pastors of Life Church, but Jesus really is the lead pastor or shepherd of this church and he always will be. But the question for us is what would change about our lives if we truly believed that, not just for this church but for me. What would change about you if if you really believed that Jesus has all the power and all of the authority, which means that you don't which means that you would then submit to Him. But what would change about your life if you not only just believed that God is all-powerful and has all of the authority, which means that you don't, but, but if you also believed that His power is directed toward you for your benefit? Because God's positioned Himself to be a blessing to you. If you understood God's power... I think it would be much easier for us to reject fake power that comes from the influences of the, of the world. I, I think it would, it, it would put much less uh, temptation in our lives to put our trust in things like money. If we believe that God is the authority over everything, which would probably also include money. I think if we really believe that God had all power and all authority and that His power is directed toward us for our benefit, we would probably seek to find less security in things like the next good politician. If we could just elect the right person, the church would be okay. That is not only backwards, it's heresy. To say that God's power is bound by what happens in the political sphere. I mean, besides side note, beside the fact that how incredibly arrogant is that, to think that what happens in the politics of one nation somehow determines God's ability to move in the entire world. God, forgive us for not believing that you have all power and authority. So Paul wants us to understand God's power so that we would genuinely trust God in every single So Paul has said, I pray for you because I heard about your love for God and for other Christians. He says, I pray that you would look for wisdom from God by the Holy Spirit and nowhere else. And I pray that you would truly understand your hope in Christ, your inheritance in Christ, and the immeasurable power and authority of Christ on your behalf. So how do we respond to a message like this? How do, how do we respond to reading that a guy like Paul was praying for people like us? I think the first way that we would respond to this is that we would receive this prayer in our own lives. So I have an invitation for you. I'm hesitant to call this a homework assignment. If that's helpful for you, I have a homework assignment for you. If you don't like homework, I have an invitation for you. What if you prayed this over your life every day for the next seven days? In fact, I'll give you a framework. It would sound something like this. Jesus, my faith is in you alone. Father, please give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I would so so that I would have your knowledge. Holy Spirit, please open my eyes to truly understand the hope, inheritance, and power I have in Christ. I submit my entire life to your kingdom, your wisdom, and your power. In Jesus' name, amen. I saw a couple of you doing it already, but Smart move. Just go ahead and take a picture of that. Pray that over yourself every single week. We'll post that on our Instagram account later. uh, Hashtag not a homework assignment. (laughs) What would change about your life if you prayed this every single day? Get your phone out, and before you go to a social media account, that you would open your Photos app and just read that out loud over yourself. God, this is my prayer for this day. I would love to find out what would change about our lives if we would pray like this. So we would receive this prayer into our own lives and the first way that we can do that is to pray it over ourselves. I I think the second way that we can respond to a message like this is that we would actually then learn to live this prayer. As you pray this over your life, what would God say to you as you're actually asking God to give you wisdom and then He does. Would you do it? Would you you change something about your life if on Tuesday you're praying and the Holy Spirit downloads conviction into your heart about a particular thing you did or haven't done yet? Would you obey? I I, I think that's called discipleship. That's called the, the work of sanctification in your life. Oh, by the way, pro tip on this, don't do this alone. If you, if you live with, with other people in your household, pray this with them. Talk with them about this, right? If, if you've got friends, pray this with your friends. Invite them to hold you accountable to the ways that the Holy Spirit corrects and tweaks your life and your thinking about the world and yourself and about God as you pray this prayer. So we respond to Paul's prayer by actually trying to live into the amen to his prayer. That we would become the people he was praying we would become. And then the third way that I would say that we can respond to this is that we would commit to pray this for other saints. I want to be very clear here. If we're praying for people who are not followers of the way of Jesus, we don't need to pray this for them. They're not there yet. We would pray, God, would you fill in the blank their name? Would you make them a follower of the way of Jesus? Would you soften their hearts to the gospel? Would you use me in a positive way in their life to bring them closer, not further away from Jesus? That's the prayer you pray for them. When we're praying for our fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord, and by the way, if you're not sure who to pray for, then when you get to the fill in the blank section of this prayer, just say, the people of Life Church. Those are your brothers and sisters in the Lord, right? Hopefully it's also some of the people that you live with. Here's how you could pray this, Jesus, make yourself and your love known to and say their name. You might find yourself praying this 20 times. And I pray that he or she would submit his or her entire life to your kingdom, your wisdom, and your power. Father, please give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they would have your knowledge. Holy Spirit, please open the eyes, their eyes to truly understand the hope, inheritance, and power they have in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Which again is a word that means let it be. God, would you do that in their life? I'm not just praying empty words. I really want you to do this for them what would it look like in five years if life church if we committed to pray this kind of prayer over ourselves and over each other regularly i would venture to guess that much of our conflict would become irrelevant i would venture to guess that much of our hearts would be softened to the work of the holy spirit and i would venture to guess that from softened hearts and a unified church God would be able to do a lot of miracles in and out there through us. Jesus, would you do this? Jesus, make yourself and your love known to the people of Life Church. I pray that each of us would submit our entire life to your kingdom, to your wisdom. And to your power. Father, please give us as a church, as followers of the way of Jesus, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we would have your knowledge. Holy Spirit, would you please open our eyes to truly understand the hope and the inheritance and the power that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen.